Gabby Dunn, I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, um, and former live journal writer. What, is, what was a live journal? Like a blog, but it was like you had a username and you weren't really supposed to like say, this was before Twitter where everybody was just like, here's my full name. And oh, like now it's the like, anonymity of it all. Yeah, it was kind of like you you had like a screen name and then it was sort of still the time in the internet where they were like, don't tell strangers your full name, they'll kill you. So then how would anyone find your your live journal? Uh, you could just, like, send it to people, but also... Like, would you send it to your friends? Uh, some friends, <laughs> but not all friends. And and I would be... It was like a diary, but public. And also I would find, like, different people would just start following it if they liked my writing. Oh, so that's it was cool. people that you didn't even know who they were. A little, like, modern-day Tumblr? Uh, yes, like Tumblr. Okay. Yes, but but uh, LiveJournal was more writing and less like pictures of people from uh, CW shows. Oh, not interested. Yeah, that's all. I just want to look at pictures. I'm only here for CW shows. Yeah. Um. Wait. So, do you still have access to it? My old one. Uh. Y- yes, but I I did a really terrible thing when I was 18, which is I threw out like all of my diaries, all of oh, my old no. artwork. I deleted a lot of my stuff because I was like, I'm about to go, or I was like, I'm in college and I was embarrassed. Yeah. But now, like, I'm like, you idiot. You should have saved all of that. That's like a gold mine. I know. It would have been such a, like, I don't, all of the posts that I did leave up are fully ridiculous. (laughs) Uh, It's all like, it's all like me as like a baby activist being like, have you guys heard of Darfur? Like, it was just like very, um, it was very uh, self-important 17-year-old stuff. And, uh, and like, I deleted so much of it. And I had, like, artwork, like, paintings I had done and stuff and, like, novels I had tried to write or whatever. Like, all my, like, as they say, juvenilia. Which oh, is, I love that word. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard that. It's like uh, when an artist, it's like an artist's early work. Yeah, that makes sense. And I got rid of all of it because I was embarrassed. And I didn't realize that at 31 I wouldn't be embarrassed anymore. I'd just be like, this is hilarious. Yeah, well, all we could do is teach the youth not to delete. But let's be honest, you can't delete things anymore anyway. That's true. And uh, But also, like, stuff that you've done by hand. Like, don't throw away your diaries. I was like, oh, God, no one should ever find this. Now I'm like, who cares? I didn't really keep diaries. You didn't? No. Why? I... I I, I just I've never felt I've never felt compelled to keep a diary. I've never felt compelled to keep a journal. Uh, it's just not a part of my personality, I guess. What about a dream journal? No. <laughs> Although my dreams are too dramatic. <laughs> this is just between us, a podcast about brutal honesty, female friendship, and completely unsolicited advice. We have a very exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking to the founder of our favorite dog rescue, Wags and Walks, Leslie Brogue. And later we'll be talking all about how to flirt because <laughs> we're both experts in that situation. Yes, a topic we can really give you advice about. Honestly, it should be its own episode. Um, But first, hit it! International question! International question! International question! Mia, Georgia. I believe the state. Her main question is, how important is it that you get along with your partner's family? 
Oof. I know. And some context. My boyfriend and I have been together for six years. We each live with our parents. We're Hispanic, so we don't leave the house till we're married. LOL. So we see each other's parents often. I've never felt very comfortable around his family. I dislike their dynamic and the way they treat each other. His mother is very lazy, doesn't cook or clean, doesn't have a job. His father is very demeaning towards him and never gives him credit for the hard work he does. They work together. Mm. I understand they will be in my life forever if we do decide to get married. But would you consider it to be a deal breaker in a relationship if you don't get along with them? Okay, so there's a difference between not liking each other and not getting along. Like, are you, like, actively fighting with his family? <laughs> to me, it's – to me, what matters the most is how your partner responds to it. Yeah. So if you're feeling like you don't like this dynamic, you don't feel comfortable around these parents, and you feel like you can't talk to your partner about it because they'll get defensive, then that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, is this like his father not, you know, giving him credit for his work? If that's something that you could bring up to him and be like, hey, I've noticed, unless he he's the one noticing it. But like, that's something, an easy way in where you can be like, hey, I've noticed that like you work really hard. And like, why doesn't your dad ever uh, give you credit for the stuff that you do? Why doesn't your dad ever like praise you for the work that you do? He only, you know, gives you criticism. You get so used to your family dynamics that you don't realize when they're negative. Like I had a friend tell me that um, the first time that their partner met their parents, the partner cried afterwards. And my friend was like, why, why are you crying? And she said uh, that the girlfriend was like, because your mom is so mean to you. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Yeah. And my friend was like, I, I don't even notice it anymore. Wow. Family is so hard because you're so stuck in these dynamics for, you know, decades. Well, like I said, I we're missing crucial information, which is uh, her boyfriend's role in all of this and, yeah. and his opinion of it. So I really, you know, I think that there are a lot of difficult families out there. And I think that... Um, you know, for the most part, you kind of grin and bear it. But if it's the type of thing where your partner won't let you talk about it mm -hmm. or won't or doesn't see your point of view or you feel like you have to hide your opinion of the family from your partner, then that's, I think, where it gets really bad and really tricky. But yeah. if your partner is like, I know my mom does that. I know my dad does that. Like, it's just the way that they are, you know, like, and then you can sort of like be a team against the family mm -hmm. or towards the issues. Then I think that that's something you can overcome. But if like he's, you know, some people are really defensive of their family. Yeah. So if he's someone who's like, how dare you? My mom is an angel. Ugh. Then that's going to be tricky for a lifetime together. And you also need to know what that person thinks a healthy dynamic is. Oh, if if he thinks that his parents are like a great example of a marriage, yeah, right. So then like that's a red flag because you need to have those conversations of like what would our home life look like? Mm -hmm. How do we want to raise our children? Because you don't want to like repeat a cycle. Well, okay. So what about like her not feeling comfortable around them? Because like I know my mom had a lot of issues with my dad's mom, mm -hmm. and that like got resolved over time. But like. I know, like, for her, it sucked to just be, like, hanging out all the time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's hard to be like, oh, yeah, let me spend so much time around this person who's, like, so shitty. Like, how do you – or, like, in this dynamic that where you're just, like, so uncomfortable. Well, again, I think it matters as if you have an ally in that room or you don't. Yeah. So if you really feel like it's them against you, then that's really tough. I don't know if this person's even brought it up to their partner. You know, Because I yeah. think it can be a really scary thing to say – something about someone's family. And when you say that you don't like the way that they treat each other and their dynamic, is your boyfriend a part of that? Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. do you not like the way he behaves with them either? Because that is the biggest red flag. 
Yeah. So a lot of people revert. Like Cheyenne mm-hmm. will be totally, my sister will be totally cool. And then around my parents, it's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and it and it like contributes to the dynamic. Totally. And because that can be, reve- you know, that can be revealing of their character. Mm-hmm. If they're, if they like fall into this shitty dynamic with their parents where they're rude to each other or they're, you know, like, it's tough because you've already been with this person for six years. I know. Um, but I think you owe it to yourself to discuss it. Yeah. And to, like, make your feelings known. And I think you'll learn a lot about your partner based on their reaction. Is it – if you – okay, so not six years in, but if you, like, go and you meet your your partner's family that you're dating and you don't like them and you get the impression they don't like you, what do you do? Um, I think you have to – you have to look at the facts, right? So if you're someone who lives 3,000 miles away from that family and mm-hmm. you know you're only going to see them occasionally, then, you know, maybe it's a situation of, like, grin and bear it. But if you, like, live five minutes away and you know yeah. that this family is going to be part of your life all the time, then you really have to – you know, you're you're marrying into a family. That's if, the thing. If it's someone who's close with their family. Yeah, that's the thing. And so you have to you have to weigh the pros and cons of that. Yeah, I know. And also, like, the – it's such a relief when you do meet someone's family and you get along with them. Oh, it's great. Not just, like, get along, but enjoy. Yeah. Like, it's easy enough to get along with people, but where you're not like, gotta go hang out with their parents. (laughs) You know what sucks, though, sometimes is, like, when you're with someone and then they say, oh, my parents hated my ex. Mm -hmm. Because then it makes me go, well, what are they saying about me? (laughs) Oh, my God, they hated your ex and, like, you feel okay telling me that? Like... What do I what do, what are they going to say about me when we break up or or what are they saying about me now more importantly? Like don't you ask that? I feel like that's normal to ask if someone's parents like you. Yeah, are do they like me? Do they or you get like little ins or whatever like invites to Rosh Hashanah and you're like, "Ooh. <laughs> okay, I've cracked it. We're celebrating the new year together." Yeah, it's tough too. Uh like the person I'm dating is very close to their family and so they tell them everything mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh man, uh, so I have this nerves of like, if I fuck up, guess who's going to hear about it right away? <laughs> well, that's the thing I've had to learn is to not tell my parents everything. Right. Don't tell them every fuck up because that'll color their impression of the person you're dating. Would you date someone when you hated their family? I didn't like one person I dated. I didn't like multiple people I've dated <laughs> family. I loved, I, I loved Eli's mom. I thought she was cool. Yeah. Um, and she was really into astrology, which I loved. But I, I, other people I've dated, like they had weird relationships with their parents, mm. so I felt weird about that. Uh, and like, I one person I never met the mom because she was homophobic. Uh, one person, uh, the parents were. It was a class issue. Like they were very rich, and mm-hmm. I, and they were very kind of like about that life. And I sort of was just like, you guys have a second house? That's crazy. <laughs> um, and they, I think, didn't. I think they saw me as kind of like rough around the edges and were not into it. Well, I think it's also hard when you come from a different background. I think the assumption is like, oh, they're not going to like me. And sometimes that lets you you believe that regardless of the evidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're like so scared that you like assume that there's an issue. Yeah. Well, I do know that I, I uh, we were all out to dinner, me and this, this person I was dating and their parents and I. Uh, everyone went around and said what they wanted to eat. And then when the waiter came, I ordered for everyone. And then later he was like, my dad was annoyed that you ordered for everyone. That's the dad's role. And I was like, what? Also, that's hilarious that you did that. Well, everyone had said what they wanted. So I was like, (laughs) the waiter came over and I was like, this is what everyone will have. 
And then I didn't even think about it. And then he was like, that's like sort of like what the dad in the family does. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. I don't. <laughs> that's not how I roll. And then you stayed together for another six months. Yeah, you which know. Which is the story of every relationship in your 20s. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. Mia, I guess our takeaway is, you know, we can't give you a full answer until we know how your boyfriend feels about this. But talk to him. Yeah, so talk to him. See how he feels. If he's defensive, if he takes their side, if he's not an ally for you, then I think it is a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see that you're going to be dealing with his family as a team, then I think it's something you can overcome. And also, you know, if the idea of having to spend, like, the next, like, 60 years of your life with these people makes you want to, like, pull your hair out, maybe reassess. Oh, huge. Because now, as my parents get older and stuff, like, all they do is hang out with family. Yeah. All you're going to do is be – my mom was like, I didn't realize how much Maymay was just part of my life every day. Exactly. So, really, you know, have a think. Mm -hmm. Sit down and have a real think about this. If you want to submit your international questions, you can also have a think. Send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break because we're going to be talking about dogs. Just between us. Hey! Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Today we have the founder of Wags and Walks, Leslie Brog. And Wags and Walks is near and dear to both me and Allison's hearts because it is a dog rescue where Allison got sugar and where I got beans. And I volunteer there about once a week. Yes. And uh, and it turns <laughs> out that the receptionist here at Earwolf uh, also got her dog from Wags and Walks. Honestly, I want everyone to get their dog from Wags and Walks. We Thank are you so much for coming. Evangelist. <laughs> uh, my absolute pleasure. <laughs> so what what made you get into like dog rescue stuff? Uh, it's an interesting question that I can never answer quickly. But We've the lo- got all the time in the world. <laughs> yeah, so seriously. if everybody has 17 hours. Um, <laughs> my father is a veterinarian, so I was certainly born into a dog-loving family. I adopted my first pit bull when I was on my own after college. Mm. And I had no idea that people judged those types of dogs based on their looks and their name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I had Duncan, my little white, fat, you know, pink-nosed sweetheart, yeah. and people would throw their kids into traffic versus walk past us, there became a real passion inside me that said that's an injustice and unfair to pit bulls yeah which uh, like there's laws against like where you can live with a pit bull it's so weird and unfounded i grew up with my mom telling me pit bulls were so dangerous and so i was like one of those people and then when i started volunteering at wags and walks i was like oh my god these are the nicest dogs yeah (laughs) and that's what happens sweet and that's what happens the people anyone who's met a pit bull Mm -hmm. especially with wags and walks has said Oh, this is what a pit bull's like. So it's about the stigma and the stereotype mm-hmm. versus the actual meeting one and and loving one. So um, once you meet a pit bull, you, that's it. Right. <laughs> and so that was kind of the the tipping point for me about being passionate. But I still had a, a regular job like everybody else. <laughs> what were you doing? Um, I was in pharmaceutical sales. Okay, great. And I did that for 10 years. Wow. Uh, half the time in New York City, and then I moved out to Los Angeles. So half the time in Los Angeles. And I just started volunteering like you with other organizations that rescue dogs. 
ended up in the high-kill shelters pulling out dogs for them and transporting them to their places. And I started asking a lot of questions at the shelters and saying, well, why is this dog here? And, well, I assume that someone will adopt this dog. And I started to learn the really sad, depressing truth is that they are all these dogs, 400-plus in 12-plus shelters surrounding us, are dropped off daily. and 400 be- are dropped off daily? Well, more. <gasps> more. I, I don't have the numbers, no, but I will tell you that horrible. it's way more. Oh and it's 98% never because of the dog. It's because the people that mm-hmm. didn't take into consideration that it's a responsibility and they get bigger and they need food and they have medical issues. Yeah. You know, it's like having a child. Right. And they bring them there and then they're left in a kennel. And these places are far out. They're in San Bernardino. They're in Lancaster. People don't go there. People don't want to go there to get a dog. And I understand to a certain degree that it's overwhelming when you go to these shelters with hundreds of dogs barking it's, it's and It's very stressed. traumatic to it, see. It is. And that was so that was something that I actually was able to do is to be at the shelters and kind of get through the, this is sad and depressing, but I'm here to do something about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay being here. And so that's where it sparked that, well, wait a minute, I can do this. And then even though the organizations that I was helping out were wonderful, there were a lot of things in my heart and my mind that were missing. Like, why aren't you adopting out to these families or these people just because they're single or because they have an apartment or because they have a pool? Oh, there were tons of restrictions? The, uh, people could not adopt dogs if they wanted to. And really? What? Still can't. And so Wags and Walks was started because people that want to give a loving home to a dog in need and with all these dogs being euthanized on a daily basis should be able to do so. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Why were there all these restrictions? Still are. Um, I don't I, – I can't really speak to why – other groups make decisions they do. Okay, yeah. I can just say that Wags and Walks focuses on the mission at hand is right. that promoting shelter dogs as the best dogs in the world, helping people be successful adopting them, and end the euthanasia and all these high-kill shelters. Yeah. And this organization, I mean, when I got sugar three and a half years ago, it was sort of like mostly fosters, right? And like you had um, kind of like a house in the back of your house that had dogs in it and but like only a few and like and now you've opened like a huge adoption center in west la where you can you can house up to like what 22 27 dogs at a time yep um that's amazing how did you how did you get there (laughs) thank you uh again i don't know (laughs) they say do what you're passionate about and everything else will follow and in my case that is actually true um Uh, It was so rapid, our growth with Wags and Walks. I started literally in my house. Wow. And I started- In what year? uh, In 2011. So this will be our ninth year. Um, It's such good growth in such a short amount of time. uh, It's it's insane, but so exciting Mm -hmm. and so great. And we have had to just learn as we grow. So Mm -hmm. we started in my house, (laughs) which was a little uncomfortable, but we did it for several years. Wow. And then foster-based. And now two years ago, we were able to, with our community, uh, you know, Wags and Walks was able to raise the funds to build that adoption center that houses 28 um, amazing animals. And then we still depend on fosters for all the other dogs that we save. 
And you, last year, you saved over a thousand dogs, right? You had found homes for over a thousand dogs. Yeah, last year alone, we saved uh, twelve hundred dogs. Oh my god! And our our total number is hovering around five thousand dogs since inception. Oh my god. That's incredible. My favorite thing to look at on Instagram is when you guys have an upload and I'm like, who got adopted? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they always I'm post a- photos of which dogs got adopted. Yep. I, on the Wags and Walks Instagram and on your website, I would like, when I came to, so I knew all the dogs. And when I came to adopt beans and there was like, a dog would walk by, it was like a celebrity. Like I'd be like, <laughs> oh my God, that guy. I've seen him on the internet so much. Is he getting adopted today? Like personally invested in like the celebrity of these dogs. Um, I don't know. I, I just was so happy when you guys got the facility. Thank you. We, we really wanted to be become what we've become as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A community of dog lovers that really like to have fun and be creative. And again, like the mission is to get these dogs out of there and mm-hmm. promote them as the best dogs and get them homes. So if we have fun while we do it and we build a family while we do it mm-hmm. and our community, like the both of you, it's like... It makes it just all that much more fun to be able to strive for this very big mission we're on. Well, I think that's what's so smart about you guys is it's not just like an animal rescue. You have an incredible like base on social media. You do so many events. You bring in a lot of celebrities. Like you, I mean, almost I'm like, you should just go work in marketing <laughs> for like, you know, like how did you figure out like that all of that was sort of necessary and important to like growing the organization? I think it was less about figuring it out because I can remember when I first started and I would say, oh, I should get, you know, big name celebrity to help me out. Well, even though we live in Los Angeles, it's not so easy. (laughs) It doesn't quite work like that. So I think that the minute that I let go of all of that and just started focusing on what I loved and what I'm passionate about is just saving the dogs and Mm -hmm. taking good care of them, uh, the rest followed suit. I wanted, I'm curious about the process of like acquiring the dogs that you acquire. Like, how do you. I was about to ask that exact same question. Yeah. How do you know, like, what's the process of going to get the dog? How do you get it to Wags and Walks? And how do you know, like, what dogs to get? Yeah. Good questions. Um, So every week on Tuesdays, we go to the high kill shelters. We make a choice as far as which one needs us the most that day. We have really built relationships with these shelters, and they're lovely to us, and they welcome us, and so they make our job easier. And it's me and our animal placement coordinator. Um, We head up in the van up to an hour and a half out, and we get there, and we just start going up and down the kennels. And there's approximately 400-plus dogs housed every day so we go up and down the kennels and it's a connection in spirit initially to be honest when we look at them in the kennels we there's a feeling there's an Mm -hmm. you know you connect eyes you watch their body language and if they're wiggly and loose and kissing um you know or or pressed up against the kennel trying to get a pet or flipping over on their back Mm -hmm. uh they're doing all the right things to get our attention um so then we make a list from there. So let's say we have 75 dogs that have really connected with us. It doesn't matter if they're big or small, young or old, herd or not. Like, we're just looking for nice dogs. And so our list is about 75. We come into the main office. We rattle off all our list. And then we get notes on each dog, how they did in playgroup, how they're doing medically. Did they 
potentially bite someone, you know, with, upon intake because they were afraid. Yeah. Um, would, do they do great, you know? And so we narrow it down from there, and then we start meeting them in the play yard. Mm. So we narrow it down to about 40, and then we play with everybody and get to know them. And then by the end of the day, we uh, fill up the van with at least uh, between 15 and 20, and then the rest come during the week after they're spay and neutered. Oh, my God. So that's a weekly ritual. You put 15 dogs in a van? We sure do. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so you must rely heavily on fosters then, too, because the the center can only hold, like you said, 28 dogs. Yep. So how, how many fosters do you have at any given time? Yeah, good question. So I right now we are currently at about 40 people that are fostering for us, wow. which is, I mean, when I tell you that is the life-saving portion of besides donations uh fosters are just the most incredible people and so selfless i mean i think it's kind of fun because you get to babysit a dog and you're not committed so it's like (laughs) temporary you have fun and then you're like here you go i did my best and then they go on to their forever home even faster but um but fosters are essential and the more people we have to foster the more dogs we're able to save and so those fosters then bring the dogs in on the weekends so that people can meet the dogs and see if those are the dog the dog they want to adopt. Yep. So the fo- either we do it on the weekends if it's easier for everybody, or we make it easier on the foster if it's a weekday that's better for them, and then we coordinate that meet and greet on the weekdays. So we do our best to accommodate the fosters all the time because we view them as the most important part of our organization and treat them as such. I know that, and I, because I stalk your website, <laughs> I know that, like, the pit bulls have a harder time getting adopted. You'll see, like, the little terriers, go, like, they'll be off the website within, right. like, a day. Right. And there are certain pit bulls that have been on the website for, like, months. Yeah. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you figure that out? Yeah, so, um, you know, that is the, the hardest part, especially with the growth, because yeah. then there's more dogs and then there's more of the dogs that yeah. have a harder time getting adopted. We have recently just hired our first full-time dog trainer to be on site with us. Nice. So, which has been super helpful to getting them the structure and the boundaries and then teaching us mm-hmm. how best to work with our dogs at the center. Because um, sometimes it is about like leash reactivity or some mm-hmm. sort of behavior that's undesirable. Um, but sometimes it's not. Like we have a dog named Litzy and she's – there is she's perfect yeah and she's she, great she won't walk i mean listen we all, <laughs> is that the one you what, had to carry yeah. <laughs> i had to carry litzy home once and she's like a 50 pound dog <laughs> okay fine so none of us are perfect but but she's a sweetheart she's a couch potato maybe you don't the person who hikes mount everest isn't going to adopt Someone her with but the backyard i feel right. like it's perfect yeah. and Let kids her, yeah. and dogs yeah. and so the truth is i sometimes don't know, yeah. but we at Wags and Walks do everything we can. We get videos of them and foster mm-hmm. testimonials and training, and and then the right person or family does come along. Sometimes it just takes a while. Yeah. This is going to be horrible, but do you think that the fact that Lissy's had so many puppies and that her her nipples are so long, that that's a problem? <laughs> As a mother who's had three children, <laughs> I'm going to say <laughs> it's harder out there. Yeah, like uh, I feel like that's a, I feel like people probably take that into account as like an aesthetic thing that is which so is, unfair. I hate that. I, I hate know. that. I like just had a friend who was like, oh, this I got a dog and showed me the dog. And it was like very clearly like a designer dog that they had gotten made. And it took everything in me not to be like, I hate you. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. I've I've lost some friends, but I I like to view people that buy dogs as dog lovers that mm. don't know better. That's just 
I they can't. know better. Well, they just want this uh, like Instagrammable dog. But it's like I they think call they it, don't know better in that they think that the traits that they're looking for are only available in these designer dogs. That's exactly right. And yeah, that's not I true. think that's what it is. It's like they believe that the only way to get a dog friendly for their children right. dog yeah, is yeah, by yeah. buying one or hypoallergenic is by buying one. Yeah. Those things aren't true. And also like a lot of stuff goes by the wayside. Like I had this idea of the type of dog that I wanted and then uh, my girlfriend at the time was like, we should go meet Beans. He was going by a different name at the time and I was like, I don't know. Like, I didn't want this kind of dog. Because, like, there's these things of, like, I didn't want a dog that had black fur because it would get everywhere. I didn't want this. I didn't I didn't know anything about chihuahuas. I was like, I don't know. And then, like, we went to go meet him. And I was like, I love you. And, like, that – and it just changed. Like, the idea in your mind of, like, what kind of dog you want. If you go and, like, meet different dogs, it'll completely – one will, like, worm its way into your heart. And you'll completely change all of your standards. You know what? It's so true. And that's another favorite thing of mine when a, when people come in and they say, we're looking for, like, a Cavapoo, non-shedding, yeah. under 20 pounds. And they walk out with a 95-pound pit bull mix. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot believe that just happened. But it's all about, you know, fit and spirit. And like you said, they wiggle their way into your heart. And you're like, well, that wasn't my picture perfect when I Mm -hmm. came in, but it is now. Yeah. So I came in with with my girlfriend at the time and my younger sister, who's very picky. And as soon as we met Beans, I was like, I don't know. He's like a very fat chihuahua. Like, I don't know. And then like my sister and my my girlfriend at the time were both like, okay, that's cool. It's your decision. Heads up. We're in love with him. And I was like, all right, we're getting this dog. And then it's such a crazy feeling, too, to walk out holding the dog because you're like, we don't know each other. And I remember being in the car with him and just being like, I don't know. What are your interests? Like, <laughs> like uh, they just let me have you, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So what what questions do you ask to see if someone is like capable of adoption? Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, despite being totally open and welcoming to adoptions from people, we do have a pretty rigorous online application that people yep. have to fill out before even meeting the dog. And once that's all filled out, my adoptions team follows up. And if there's anything they need to ask questions about that were confusing or alarming, or concerning, they ask. And then once that's all covered, then we invite people in to meet the dog. And we um, they have to bring, if they have another dog in the house mm-hmm. or a grandma or kids, everybody has to come because mm-hmm. it's a family decision. And when they come, we have a meet and greet and we set them up in one of the meet and greet rooms. And we, I'm sure you've been, you were both been through this. Um, you know, you get kind of counseled by our adoptions counselor about what might be the right dog for you. You might have applied for a husky, but you're like to be a couch potato. So we might steer you in a different direction <laughs> or vice versa. But um, but yeah, we try to make everybody successful once they filled out the application and there's no red flags and then help you along the way by being supportive. What would a red flag be? Uh, I think the biggest red flags are we like to put our dog outside at night to sleep oh, kind of things. No. There's uh, coyotes here. You know, dogs are family. Yeah. And if you don't think that, then that's a that doesn't fit into our mission and yeah. philosophies. So. Well, you were talking about before how because with rescues, people will be like, oh, uh, I just want to spoil it. And then you try to be like, 
okay, well, you know, just because I remember in the packet, it was like, just because they're a rescue doesn't mean that you should let them do whatever they want. And then so quickly with beans, I was like, you can sleep in the bed. You can have as much food as you want. What toys do you want? Like I immediately caved. I spoil sugar so much. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know what to, I'm like worried about having kids. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'll be harsher on my kids. <laughs> no, because the kids, you know where they came from. The dog, it's like he, I, I'm like, I assume he comes from some sort of rough background. So I'm like, what do you want, dog? massages <laughs> like it's ridiculous and I know that you guys when when we left you tried to be like hey don't you know just because he's a rescue doesn't mean and it went by the wayside so fast um, <laughs> one more question before we move on to the next segment like what what do we need to do as a society so that there aren't so many dogs out there that needs homes and are in shelters like how what like bigger steps can we all take yeah huh. well <laughs> I would say number one is just try to remind people and have this big voice about um, creating an awareness that anything that you're looking for in a dog is available mm-hmm. at a rescue or a shelter. Yes. I mean, please. period, end of story. You know, it really, they really are like purebreds, puppies, you name it, mm-hmm. non-sheddings, family-friendly. Uh, listen, Wags and Walks is the fastest growing organization that saved 5,000 dogs. So if we could, I know it, it's Los Angeles and and we could get so many more people to donate, foster, volunteer, and adopt. We could take the van Tuesdays and Thursdays Ooh, and right. go pick up double the amount of dogs, save double the amount. Right. And we will do whatever it takes as long as we have the support behind us. What about the closing of the high kill shelters? That would be nice. I know. But is that prob- a thing that's going on? Well, the problem is for the high kill shelters, they all are suffering because people are dropping off their dogs and then there's nowhere to put the dogs, right? So it's <sighs> yeah. a space and a math problem. Where, But as human beings, and the more we know this and promote this and do something about it, the less that there'll be dogs there. Right. Mm-hmm. And the more they'll get out of there. And so I think there is there better be an end in sight because right? I'm not leaving until there is. So uh, I think that we just all have to be more aware. And rescue a dog. And rescue a damn dog. Rescue a dog. Uh, volunteer. Foster. Donate. You're my hero. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Allison wants to be you. <laughs> um, so we are going to play a game called Hypotheticals. I don't know if you were warned about this. Not at all. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, so I'm going to give you and Gabby, your, my two contestants, uh, a couple of hypothetical situations. And you'll say what you would do in those situations. You can also ask more questions. And you will be wrong. You might be wrong. You might be wrong. We'll okay. see. There's twists and turns. Okay. I'm, like, I'm excited about this. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. So our first game of hypotheticals is America's favorite game show, Would You Stay With This Cheater? Okay? hmm You find out your significant other of two years thinks that their dog is a reincarnation of their dead spouse. But they don't do anything sexual with the dog, thank God. But they do consider themselves to be in a polyamorous relationship with both of you. <laughs> Would you stay with this cheater? My follow-up question is what what do they do they treat the dog differently than a dog because it is a reincarnation? It's very romantic. In what way? Um, just like they feel like they have a real connection to them. They have a lot of deep conversations with the dog. They think the dog is often talking to them. Okay. Leslie, questions? <laughs> Follow-up questions? Are there candlelight dinners? Uh, yeah, but you haven't been invited. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real lady in the tramp situation. Yes. 
And also the dog hates you. <laughs> oh, that's hard. I don't like that. I mean, may I answer the question yes, now? Of course. I think I have enough information already. <laughs> I'm gonna go <laughs> because I really appreciate the love they have for one another. But he sounds like somebody that's probably at the end of the day not for me. Sure. Because and, he's in love with someone else or No. I think it goes way deeper than that. <laughs> I'm gonna go because the dog doesn't like me. Okay. Mm. That's a that's a Gabby answer. I know. <laughs> Truly. Well, um, you know, that's actually for the best because it is a reincarnation of their dead <gasps> spouse and they do need this time together. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad I left. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there are no rules in hypotheticals. Do you ever think sugar's a reincarnation of someone? Maybe like an aristocrat. I don't know. I know. I think she's that. so strange. <laughs> I got a dog so I could have unconditional love, and this dog is so withholding. It's unbelievable. <laughs> she is. She's as pretty as can be, but she doesn't really care about us much. No, no. I always say, thank God she's pretty. Yeah. You know, if she had this personality and wasn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to have the looks <laughs> oh on that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, our next game is Are You a Terrible Parent? You're a bit scrapped for money, so you get your child a job at a retirement home cleaning bathrooms, but tell them it's an unpaid volunteer position and you keep the money they earn. (gasps) However, their essay about the value of volunteering helps get them into Yale. Are you a terrible parent? No, I think you might be a genius. (laughs) What do you think? Wow, that's like hitting home because I have three young girls at home and I'm feeling like you just gave me the best idea that I've ever heard. Feel free to use it. <laughs> I ho. <laughs> well, you're a lying parent. <laughs> yeah. But sure. is it a stretch? Is it a white lie? You know, one of those that helps Sure. You helps, know, helps them learn and grow. Yeah. What are you using the money for? Ah. Uh, oh, just, you know, like beauty stuff. Wait, if you're strapped for cash. Yeah, like because you haven't been able to get like manicures and your haircut because you've been so scrapped for cash and now this little spending money. Oh, so it's not like for bills or like to fix a hole in the roof. Really good question. Well, they don't pay that much at a retirement home. Oh, okay. For you to clean the bathroom. Uh, uh, will your child ever find out that you did this? No. And, okay. And if you just said to the child, hey, I, I need extra money for the family... The child would be like, no. Yeah, it's a spoiled brat of a kid. <laughs> oh, then I changed my answer. <laughs> What's your answer? Well, if this child was somehow a spoiled brat that I raised, <laughs> I would be a terrible parent anyway. Oh, oh interesting. Right? And so I a think, real parent here. Wow. Right. I'm like being real here. This is an hypothetical. <laughs> they're going to clean bathrooms everywhere. <laughs> and, and they're going to Yale. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So you both really turned it around. You and the kid. <laughs> I think. I think we are not terrible parents. Okay. Well, uh, just so you know, they, they never speak to you again, but it's for a different reason. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> Our final game: Are they an alien or just rude? Okay. While on a snorkeling tour on vacation, one of the other tour members tells you that you should try breathing under the water without the snorkel. When you reply that you're not a fish, the tour member calls you weak and cowardly, stating, how can you possibly know if you don't try, you big-time loser? (laughs) They then flirt with your spouse the rest of the trip. Are they an alien or just rude? Is there a third option? (laughs) They can breathe underwater? You don't know. Okay. What are your follow-up questions? (laughs) 
Are they going to do it first to show us how it's done? No. No. Huh. They're just trying to push you to be better. Why? That's what I want to know. What do you think? Well, if they're in love or they like our spouse, I think they're trying to drown us. <laughs> You're smart. You're smart. I watched so much Forensic Files and I didn't see that coming. Okay, so I think uh, I think they're rude and a murderer. Leslie? I, I concur. Mm-hmm. Turns out they're half fish. Oh. oh and they <laughs> wanted to see if you were also half fish. What does the spouse have to do with it? Oh, they just really hit it off. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and Wags and Walks? You can find out about Wags and Walks at wagsandwalks.org. We have Instagram Wags and Walks and Facebook Wags and Walks. So you can find us everywhere. And we're in West L.A. We have our adoption center so you can get involved on-site, off-site. We have children's programs. You name it. Amazing. Wow. Uh, stick around after the break if I'm still in podcasting and not full-time at Wags and Walks. Uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about how to flirt. Welcome back. It's time to... <laughs> so aggressive. I know. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm getting more and more like a disc jockey. Yeah, that's really what it's like. <laughs> I need my sound effects. Um, welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for topics. XXXXXXX. Baby! Which, this is actually an appropriate XXX. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Because of like X's and O's? Or for what? Sweetie, no. Because oh, triple, triple X. <laughs> Sex. Oh, boy. I get it. Oh, God. I've heard of it. Oh, no. Uh, this week, oh. uh, the topic actually comes from Gabby's mind, and we're going to be talking about how to flirt. Shocking absolutely no one. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you when, before we started recording, you said you're bad at flirting. So what's weird is, like, I think I'm very good at in-relationship flirting. Go on. What does that mean? Because then I'm not like scared, and there's no there's no like risk. Sure, but what's an in relationship flirt? Give me an example. Oh, you know when you like make when you like give a I don't know. Allison, <laughs> so Allison is currently Allison is currently like shaking her shoulders <laughs> and like doing her hands, having her hands up to indicate some sort of fanciness. It's like you know, like a little repartee. Oh, a repartee? Yeah. Like a little, the way you're describing it sounds like you are like from Pride and Prejudice. And like the way that you flirt is by having like a witty back and forth. Well, it's all handwritten letters, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's all handwritten letters. Uh, I guess like, you know, it's like little quips and like little, I guess when I like someone and I'm like flirting at the beginning, it's hard for me to look at their face. What? (sighs) I know. What do you mean? Like if you if you well, okay. So, but you don't really like flirt with like people you already know. No, like you. So when you meet up with someone from an app or you meet up with someone to date them, you you're already like you already know that a flirt is is going to be reciprocated. Well, you hope. Well, I didn't know. I've definitely liked people and have tried to flirt with them, but it. I know. I don't know how often it works. How do you flirt? <laughs> I'm too embarrassed to talk oh, about this. Uh, uh, I'm very straightforward. Uh, ex- extremely straightforward. And that backfires on me, actually, because people think I'm joking. Yes. So, I yeah, I, I have a, I know a couple people like you where you, you give it to everyone so people don't think that it's, like, 
like directed at them. Nope. In a serious way. They they never think that I'm actually flirting. They think that it's just the way I talk to people, which mm-hmm. sometimes it is. Um they think that like I I'm I'm so forward and so aggressive that it must be like a bit. Right. Which uh backfires on me kind of often because there's been a few people where like I have been actually interested and it's taken a long time for them to realize that's just that's not just the way that I am mm-hmm. and that I am serious. Like the person I'm dating now was like you were so forward that I was like this girl's not for real. Well, I think it's an interesting time now to talk about flirting too, right? Mm-hmm. Like post Me Too movement because like what what is appropriate and like I know. when so like when is it even appropriate to flirt? Yeah, no, I know. And I kind of feel like in now people need to be more explicit with their intentions in mm-hmm. a way so that like it's more clear for someone to say no thank you. Yes, absolutely. That's why I brought this up as a topic too because I feel like a thing that keeps coming up when women are like, please don't do this to me or sexually harass me. Like a thing that keeps coming up is like, well, how are we supposed to even flirt anymore? Right. And it's like, well, I think you can, but you just have to be prepared for a rejection. Exactly. And you just have to, once someone rejects you or gives you a boundary, you have to be like, okay, and then you're done. And I also think that all physical touch involved in flirting has to go. Yeah, no, like no, no. You can't, you can't like keep touching people's shoulders or like put your arm on the back, like you know what uh, I mean. Until someone like lets you in as as a, a physical partner, yeah, you should just respect their body space no matter what. Yeah, there's been a few people that uh, that are very handsy. There's like a thing that men do where they'll touch you on your lower back, mm-hmm. and I'm like, stop it. See the like, if you like the guy back, then like that's great. But the risk of not liking the back <laughs> is too high, and it's also hard sometimes with women because there's such a uh, like. I've been on. I went on like a date, and like we didn't realize it was a date until after. <laughs> like, how did you realize? Because we were like, was that a date? I mean, it's like hard because you're you're flirting, but like sometimes with, with other women, it's like, is it a flirt or is it just like how women talk to each other? Right. So that's like a rough one. I think a, I think a cool way to think about flirting is like, how do you show off your best self to that person? Oh, okay. You know, so like if you're a really funny person, then like it's with humor. Or mm-hmm. if like you're a big time intellectual, like maybe it's like talking about the things that interest you. Yeah. And yeah. like kind of like letting them know a little bit of like what they're going to be getting. <laughs> yeah. You know what's a good flirt is making them a playlist. Oh, in, in 2019? Yes, on Spotify. Oh, on Spotify. Okay, where you can also find this podcast, uh, <laughs> or like, um, or like, I, uh, someone making you a list of like movies you should see. Like a cool flirt is to be kind of like, what? Like I want to do something for you, or like yes. do something for your interests, or you know, showing what I mean? showing that you care. I think is yeah. a great is a great flirt. Mm-hmm. I've had some choice weird, like flirts like the most recent person i i i was dating i texted them are we gonna make out or what and then uh and then once we were in the same place i they reminded me that we were hanging out in their room they had like a hotel room we were hanging out in their room and i just said can i get in your bed wow and they were like uh yeah (laughs) <laughs> and so th- but they were like that was such a funny like we were like talking like sitting a- across the room from each other and I just went and they were sitting in their bed they were like laying in their bed and I was like can I get in your bed with you and they were like uh yeah <laughs> and like that was weird that's a weird thing to ask 
Oh, yeah. I was like to Jake, I was like, do you want to buy some candy and watch the Jinx? (laughs) (laughs) And look at me now, cohabitating. Like, that's like... It, that like it's I feel like you have all these grandiose plans in your head about how you're gonna flirt and then mm-hmm. it just ends up being something so weird and you also have to realize what your vibe is with that specific person yeah so like for some people like they're going to respond more to like directness yeah and other people that might make them uncomfortable yeah so it's honestly like a it's like an experiment in like picking up on someone's vibe Yes. And, and like, so you can't, this like idea of like, use this one line every time, like that's not appropriate. No. And like, it, and compliments are nice. Mm, like I love being, a compliment. But like, not just physical compliments, like being oh, like. Oh no, I only like physical compliments. Oh my God. But I like, you know, like, wow, you're really insightful. Or like, mm-hmm. wow, that was really like, uh, that was, I'm, that was really smart of you to say or whatever. I honestly think asking people questions is a, is a great flirt I move. Know. How do you get someone to stop flirting with you? I mean, I think you just say, you just get like a boundary. Like, I don't know. I had one, I, I've talked about this, but there's there's been people who I'm not even really actually flirting with, but I just am a flirty person. Mm-hmm. And I've had people be like, hey, I'm, I don't, uh, I, that's not how I talk. Like, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah. And then I go, oh, okay, sorry. Like, you're right. I'm just, that's my, my way of communicating is very flirtatious. Uh, and, and if that makes you uncomfortable, like, I will stop. It's just a scary thing to say to somebody, you know, like, let's say it's like a coworker yeah. or someone you don't know very well and you don't know how yeah. they'll react to that. Um, but I think it's like potentially you can like talk about not being single, even if that's not yeah. true. <laughs> or you can say that you're not dating. You know, like I think you can yeah. in the same way put out vibes and signals that you're not interested. One guy I was like, you remind me of my ex. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. Like there are certain people that I've had to stop hanging out with because they just blow past it. Like they don't care that they're they don't care that I've expressed that I I don't I'm not interested or mm-hmm. they don't care that uh, I don't want to be flirted with. Do you think you always need to ask permission before you make a first kiss? So that's interesting. I like to say, can I? I like to ask. I like to say, can I kiss you? See, I historically don't like that, and it's always made me really uncomfortable, and I and I heavily dislike it. But I think that now that I know more and more about consent, I think it's a really important thing to do. Yeah, I I think it's more so in the the queer world. It's it's very normalized to be like, can I almost every step of the way? Yeah, like, which is, is this how it okay? Be. Can I touch you here? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, like, are is this okay? Comes up a lot more. Do you think you're a good flirt? Mm-hmm. I think I'm. I think I'm an underrated flirt. Uh, you're not as like I'm going like bold. Mm-hmm. I'm going like out there. I'm mm-hmm. going like in, you know, whatever. Uh and and you're a little more like jokes, like subtle jokes. Yeah, like I could get away with denial. Oh god. Like if you you know what I mean, like it's not obvious enough. Yeah. Where. But if if I I sometimes am more forward if I feel a little safer or, I, or I'm sort of at a point of like what's going like are you're you just in, like are I you need in or are you out? Yeah, I do a lot of that. <laughs> I also do are you in or are you out? Yeah. I'll do a lot of like what is this? Exactly. You got to clear it up. There t- there's no time to waste. The earth is burning. That's how I feel. Like, I'm like, what? I don't know. Why are we? It's also funny because, like, some people that I've dated have been like, I really just wanted to, like, be romanced or, like, I wanted to be flirted with for a while. And you just rolled up and were like, what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> you know who I want to hear how they flirt? Melissa. Melissa. Woo! So, Melissa, how do you flirt? 
I'm so out of practice with flirting. Um, you can flirt with us if you want. <laughs> Is this more of you trying to get me to like you? Yes. <laughs> um, no, like I used to be really good. I just think I'm off my game now. I'm just out of practice. What, what did it look like? Yeah, what was good about it? Um, I used to, when I was in college, I used to just like be in a bar or whatever and mm-hmm. be like, next hot guy that comes in here is mine. And ah! I would just... Like, just be confident and yeah. get the dude. And it happened all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. Confidence is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like not ex- even what you're saying. Yeah. It's more like the confidence of it. Yeah. Even, like, when I first moved here, um, I, like, the first time I went out to a bar and I kept hearing, like, oh, dating in L.A. is, like, so hard. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and so I just, like this guy that I met at the bar we ended up dating for a while and that was like the first time I went out in LA and I was like what are people talking about <laughs> <laughs> but I think people are are wishy-washy with with like their intentions uh-huh. and I think they're they don't have the confidence and they want like you you want like the uh, like Allison said you want the uh, plausible deniability of like I wasn't flirting mm-hmm. yeah versus like I'm just like throw spaghetti at a wall mm-hmm. I get rejected I'm like you know what it's a numbers game right it, it like, really is I'll get rejected all day but if I win one I win one yeah i think it's the the misunderstanding that if somebody rejects you it reflects who you are as a person Mm. but it just means that like you weren't the right fit for that person yeah exactly exactly. and then you move on right and then you just like flirt i mean i think this might be a reason why people don't think i'm serious you're like and then you flirt with everyone (laughs) you know and then it does and then uh, you just move on to the next yeah but Um, i do get like the part where allison you were saying like it's hard to look at somebody in the face right it's like when i really like somebody like when i'm just like throwing it out there i don't really know them yet so i don't really like them but when i really like them it's like it's scary it's like intimate to look in like people's eyes yeah Am I ever not flirting? I feel like maybe I'm just every interaction I have with someone is flirt and I can't stop myself. I don't know. I mean, there's a difference between flirty and friendly. Yeah. It's sort of like what you want out of it Mm -hmm. in a way. That's true. Your intention behind Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So what do we rate this killer episode? Uh, I rate it um, uh, eight out of eight pit bulls, which you should absolutely adopt. Yes. I rate this ten perfect doggies. You're a dog person. I love dogs. Oh. Yeah, this show has really become the dog cast. I love it. <laughs> what did we learn? Um, I learned that there's these the, the number the sheer number of dogs that are dropped off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't. That's think about how many dogs that is. It's horrible. It's horrible. And if you get a dog and you're like, oh, I didn't know it was going to be work. It guess what? You committed to that dog. It mm-hmm. is work. Sorry. And, or just, just rehome it. Re-home Don't just it. give it to yeah. a shelter. So, uh, uh, funniest part? <laughs> so sad. <laughs> um, I feel like there was some funny stuff about, like, I can't remember if, if, if you called Sugar an aristocrat oh, on yeah. air or off air. Mm. No, yes, I think. It was she, on air. Yeah, her former life, she was an aristocrat. Yeah, I think, like, I think you saying Sugar was an aristocrat was very <laughs> funny to me. Makes sense. It right? It does. It's how she it's her vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I try to flirt with sugar constantly. It <laughs> doesn't go well. Oh. But sometimes she will give me her belly and then I know I'm in. Because she's the she's the reincarnation of your dead spouse. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Just a 
Tweet Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Melissa DeMotz, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Melissa, you have to, you have to bark. Stitcher. <laughs> <laughs>